Well, this morning, let's turn to the general epistle of James as we take up once again uh, this epistle, this letter that James has written to several of the tribes of Israel, all 12 of them actually, that have been scattered abroad and dealing with them in some very practical matters, especially in regards to true religion. Let's read our text. This is the only verse we'll be looking at today as far as the text itself. He says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Actually, we're going to note verse 22. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. You remember back in verse 18, James has set forth unto us something of the doctrine of the new birth, or what we would call being born again, being regenerated by the Spirit of God. And he does remind us here that its author was and is God. Of his own will begot he us with the word of truth. It is God who in his infinite and mercy and sovereign grace, uh, he's the one who has quickened us uh, unto spiritual and also to eternal life. And the Apostle John, writing in his book, in John chapter 1, says almost the very same thing. He tells us that as many as received him, that is, who have received Christ, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, it can't get any plainer than that verse there about the idea that the new birth comes from above. It doesn't come by blood, that is relationship, nor by the will of the flesh, that is what we possess, nor or the will of man, he tells us there. The new birth is not according to these things, but instead it is according to God. And the inference there is it's according to the will of God there in verse 13 of John. Now, the means, though, by which God accomplishes this great work in us is, of course, the word of God or the word of truth, as it's said there in verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the fathers of light, father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning of his own will. begot he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So, though God is the author He does use means, and that, of course, is the word of truth or the word of God. Also, James has told us something of the end or the purpose, at least according to James here, is that we will be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now, despite that all of creation, of course, does belong to God, yet the elect, though, have a special place in God's purposes. We have a special place with God himself in his heart. We are his peculiar people. And all of this, James sees as, of course, as we mentioned in verse 17 there, all of this is seen as the good and perfect gift that comes down from the Father of lights. And God, rather than tempting us, and this is the context, tempting us to do evil, He instead then gifts us with eternal life. And from these great truths revealed, as we see here, James would have us now to see that not only is true religion begotten by the sovereign grace of God, but it is practical in its implication in our lives. Not only is it a sovereign work, 
that God performs in the lives and hearts of his people, but it is a sovereign work that brings implications or application in daily walk. The, this wonderful truth of the doctrine of regeneration or the new birth in reality is very practical. Now, last week, it's true, we looked at it in a more doctrinal way. That is, we were setting forth, really, the, the teaching of regeneration. James now, though, turns his attention from the theory, so to speak, of regeneration and gets down to some very practical things, at least for him in the context. So, not only is it a very theoretical and true doctrine, it is also a doctrine that puts obligations Upon us. The new birth puts obligations upon those who are born again. Brethren, it's just not we're born again. In fact, we must be born again, as Jesus says. But James also sees that that is something of a, that it's a reality in which there are come some imperatives or commands along with it. In other words, you must be born again, and by the grace of God, we are born again. And when that happens, then there comes some responsibility, some accountability, and some commands that come with it. Now, in saying all that, let me make stop here and make an observation. I won't have to stick this at the end, but there's some observations from this. Here's one of the shortcomings in modern evangelism, or modern soul winning, as they call it. The interest seems to only be lying in the fact that we see people converted. That is, just making disciples, seeing that sinners are born again. Well, that's all great and good, and we think that's one of the major ways to begin. But the Bible doesn't stop there. The Bible continues. For the Christian, believe you me, entering in with the new birth is just the beginning. There is now... That he has entered into this new life. Now that he's entered into the kingdom of Christ. The way of true religion. It is as well though the way unto holiness. In fact it's the only way to holiness. No one can be holy without being born again. One must be born again in order to have not only eternal life. But a life that is now pleasing unto God. And modern evangelism, evangelism excuse me, seems to have forgotten holiness. They're just so interested in, quote, getting people saved. Now, again, we do think that's very important because, as I said, that's just the entrance into all of this. But that is not the end of it. There is holiness in the lives of individuals that must be accounted for. It's true Holiness does not bring forgiveness. It does not bring righteousnesses that it's imputed. It does not, but it does bring the things which are necessary in everyday Christianity. Salvation is unto good works, which we have been ordained unto. The book of, the book of Ephesians tells us. Now, some call Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20, the Great Commission. Uh, I'll just read it to you, Matthew 28. And verse 19 through 20. 
Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And they call that the Great Commission. They say that's the marching orders of the New Covenant towards uh, the church here. Now, it's true, salvation is certainly a part of that. The idea that we are to make disciples. And that's an important part, no doubt. But there is more. There is the baptizing and there is the teaching of all things that they are to observe. And brethren, that's what seems to be missing in a lot of modern evangelism. It's just get them saved, get them in. And whether they grow in grace, it's not really a necessity, they think, and neither is it imperative that they do so. But in reality, that's just not true. The Christian isn't just birthed into the kingdom and nothing else takes place, but there is a life that begins there of learning and obeying. Now, I say all this because we have some folks here this, here this morning who have come to Christ, we trust and hope. They have professed something of faith in Christ Jesus. And let me tell you this morning, young folks, this is only the beginning of your life in Christ. It is now to be a forever thing that you have laid hold of Christ. And you need to keep going. You don't just put your hand to the plow and look back, Jesus says. You keep going. You deny all in order to be His follower. And there are some commands. There are some imperatives. There are some duties that are laid upon you if you claim to be a Christian. If you claim to be born again. And James speaks of them here in this very text. Wherefore? Well, what's the wherefore there for? Well, it's just speaking of what he had said beforehand. That you're born again. It's a gift of God, of grace. You're born by the almighty power of God through the means or the agency of the Word of God to be first fruits unto God. Now look, here are some applications to this. What are you to do? Are you to be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath? Notice how he begins this. Wherefore, my beloved brethren... We see he calls them beloved... And he says this, as we mentioned earlier, this is the second time that he'll be talking like this. But he says it previously because they are beloved of him and they're also beloved of God. James here is trying to show forth not only the love of God in this, but his love towards them. That he really does care that he's taking the time to write these things to them. He's trying to get a hold of them. But he also calls them brethren. Brethren not only because they are Jews in the flesh as we read in verse 1 there, but also because they are the elect. They too are fellows together in this thing called Christianity. They too have been born again. He too has been born again. And so they're fellows together. And so he calls them here, beloved brethren. So not only does he strive to catch their attention by the truth, but also he tries to get their affections by what he says here. Beloved brethren. So you this morning here who are converted, you're, you've been born again. Let me, let me grab your, your attention, both in your mind and your heart. Beloved brethren, pay heed to this. Christian brotherhood and Christian love and fellowship are strong motives to us. 
There is a drawing power, as it were, with the idea of being brethren one with another. It shouldn't separate us. It shouldn't cause us to want to go our own way and do our own thing. When we think of one another as brethren, that ought to draw us together, both in thought as well as in deed. That's what John says, doesn't he, in his epistle. First John. Well, this is what James is trying to do here. Now, he wants us to see some of the immediate practical implications to the new birth, at least in James' thinking at this point. Now, there are other things. We could turn to other portions of Scripture and show you that the new birth means this and to do this. But James is honing in for a particular thing here. And the thing that he wants us to immediately see, the practical implications to the new birth is this. And that's found in verse 19. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Kind of catchy, aren't they? Three things there. The cadence of that just kind of rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Notice he says, first of all, let everyone, let every man. This is whether you're newly converted or whether you've been saved for a number of years. Here's the command to you. Be swift to hear. Slow to speak. Slow to wrath. So again, this is to everybody here. Not just those whom are newly converted. None here are exempted or excluded from this exhortation about the new birth here. Whether you're a new Christian or an old Christian. Let me urge you this morning to be swift to hear. Well, the natural question is swift to hear what? What is it I'm supposed to hear? Well, what's the context? Well, immediately before this, he had been talking about the means by which we're born again, which is what? The word of truth. So that gives us kind of a clue what he's meaning here to hear. We're to hear the word of God, the word of truth. Be swift to hear it. Be swift to hear divine truth, to hear the word of God. But how sad it is that some lose this exhortation with the hustle and bustle of the world, don't they? Hearing the Word certainly has become the last on some people's list. When we look to verse 18, we ought to see reasons as to why we ought to value it. When we look to verse 21, we ought to see something of the importance of it. Look at there. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity, Superfluity, excuse me, of naughtiness and receive with meekness the what? The engrafted word which is able to save your soul. Verse 18 shows, or yeah, shows us we ought to value it for what it can do. Verse 21, the same thing. But sadly, many make the profession that they are born again value little the hearing of the word of God. Where are they at today? If it's not apathy while they're not here, it's pride. They'll use the excuse of having a better means of receiving the Word while they've got their TV, they've got their MP3s, they've got their Internet, they have their iPods, all these other means that may in and of themselves be lawful at other times, but brethren, sitting under the counsel of the Word of God directly is what God ordains. 
and how easy it is to excuse ourselves from divine worship at God's house. Brethren, beloved, it ought not to be. Many will make their excuse or give their reasons for forsaking the assembling of themselves together, yet nothing of those excuses keeps them from going elsewhere, does it? Oh, I can't come to church because of this. I'm not going there because of this. But you'll find me every other day of the week doing my regular motions that I go through. Suddenly, the excuses fall away, don't they? You see, because they've, they've gotten away from the importance and the, and the truthfulness of the need of being swift to hear. You know, the best way of ridding ourselves of sinful excuses and vain and uh, profane hearing things that we ought not to be hearing is to be swift to hear. That's the answer to this. We don't have to go lay you on a couch and spend three or four hours counseling you why you ought to be in God's house. Here it is, brethren. Be swift to hear. There's your answer. How do I make, quit making all the excuses to miss God's house? To miss being counseled by the Word of God? Here it is. Be swift to hear. That's a no-brainer, as they say today, isn't it? Be swift to hear. Notice here he says swift. That simply means being quick. means doing it speedily. Be in a hurry about it. How our souls, brethren, would progress in the grace and the knowledge of God if we would heed this simple exhortation found in James' words here. Be swift to hear. Listen up. And even those who come here faithfully, you need to be swift to hear. How easy it is to have the mind turned off during worship. We were taught that practically. Turn your brain. Shut it off when you come to the door. Our early days of Christianity, is that not what we were taught? You know, it's a matter of feeling. It's not a matter of doctrine. It's not a matter of putting your mind to work. It's a matter of how you felt during the day. No, brethren. Part of hearing is using that mind that God has quickened by the grace of God in the new birth. Working through these things. Be swift to hear. Proverbs tells us in regards to hearing like this, especially wisdom. Proverbs 8, verse uh, 32. Should have written them out. He says, Now therefore hearken unto me, O ye children, for blessed are they that keep my ways. This is really Christ speaking here as he is wisdom. Hear instruction and be wise and refuse it not. Blessed is the man that heareth me, watching daily at my gates, watching at the post of my doors. For whoso findeth me findeth life and shall obtain favor of the Lord. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death. So, well, I don't hate God. Well, are you swift to hear? 
You see, the opposite of being swift to hear this morning would fall in that verse, verse 36. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All that hate me love death. Why? Because they're slow to hear rather than being swift to hear. Ecclesiastes, in the speaking of divine worship itself, gives us this exhortation and warning itself. He says, keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. Do we not long for the time in the days gone by, in earlier days, for instance, where that multitudes would gather and hear God's Word? Wouldn't that be great to see that again? You know, even in the days of the Lord, there in Mark 2, the houses were full and packed that people couldn't even get in through the doors because they were come to hear the very wisdom of God Himself, Jesus Christ. My brethren, the first principle in obedience is hearing. Hearkening and hearing. We will not graduate, as he tells us to do back over in 20, verse 22 here, to be good hearers, or excuse me, not be, well, let me read it, but, you, but be doers of the word. We won't be good doers if we're not good hearers. This is not an exhortation in verse 22 to despise hearing just because he says be a good hearer, doer. No, in fact, they go together. To be a good doer is to be a good hearer. Be swift to hear. You want to be a good doer? Come with your ears opened. Your mind ready to hear. The next exhortation, again, very simple. Slow to speak. You know, the mark of a good hearer, along with being a good doer, is that he is slow to speak. Brethren, you can't hear if you're talking. I know that's probably a scientific fact you've never thought of before. But in reality, think about it, man. If you're talking, you cannot be hearing. And here James tells us to be swift to hear, though, and slow to speak. You know, it's really sad in divine worship when you're out here, up here preaching and you see brethren leaning over and speaking to their neighbor. You know, the exhortation they need to hear this morning is slow to speak. Not swift to speak. Slow to speak is the exhortation that they need to hear. It's an old expression and almost biblical. I won't say it is, but certainly there's a lot of truth in it. Many a man has had to repent of speaking, but never one of holding his peace. Now, while that's not true in all situations, because we ought to rebuke the ungodly and such as that, yet a lot of truth is in that saying, isn't it? If you don't say it, you won't have to repent over it. Brethren, be slow to speak. That's what I tell you this morning. Beloved brethren, be quick to hear, swift to hear, but be slow to speak. But you know, that's not the case all the time, is it? There are many who rush to speak. Few listen and drink in what's been said, but there are many who are quick to speak. And there is that certain kind of person, people, who thinks it is absolutely necessary that others know what they think. They're so good at it that you don't even have to ask them. They're going to let you know what 
they think. You see, they're not very slow to speak, are they? What's the exhortation? Be slow to speak. Again, in the context, it's directly dealing with the word of truth. How much more so does a man need to be slow to speak after he's heard the word of God? Rather than quick to speak. They don't even get a chance to drink it in. They don't even get a chance to meditate on it. They're not even good Brians yet. Because they've got to use their tongue to see that others know what they think. When nobody asked them what their thoughts were to begin with. See, brethren, we've missed the exhortation. Be slow to speak. Quick to hear, but slow to speak. Especially if you're newly converted. Again, the context is dealing with the new birth. One of the things that new Christians are apt to do is run their mouth. But oftentimes it goes unheeded, doesn't it? They're slow to hear and quick to speak. Newly converted people need to be listening rather than talking. They're like their counterparts in nature. By I mean, you know, you're newly born, you're young. In nature, I mean, you're young, you're a teenager, that sort of thing. You think you know it all or as much as can be known. And hence, you must give away that knowledge by speaking it out. My friend, what you need to do is to cultivate the art of slow speaking. And I admit it's hard, but it must be done. Listen to some of the exhortations again from the wisest man of the world outside of Jesus Christ. And actually who was speaking by the power of Christ. But in Proverbs, listen to this. 10 verse 19. He says, In the multitude of words there wonteth not sin. But he that refraineth his lips is wise. You see, that's a man who is slow to speak. Let me read that again, because that just goes over people's heads a lot. In the multitude of words, there woneth not sin. Now, what does that mean, children? There woneth not sin? Let's put it in the opposite. It means that when you talk a lot, there is this aptness to, to sin a lot. So, if you keep your tongue, there will be less opportunity to sin. In fact, James is going to be dealing with the sin of the tongue, in fact, in this chapter and also in chapter 3. So, it's a very important aspect of true religion. So, right out of the gate of regeneration, one of the proofs that you've been born again is the fact that you're slow to speak. You're ready to listen and learn rather than impart. And this is the opposite of the modern church. You know, you get someone saved, as they say, and next thing you do, you've made them a, quote, Sunday school teacher, haven't you? In my background, you shoved a Schofield Bible in their notes, you told them to read the notes, and then you set him in the pulpit the next week, and he's either teaching or preaching. Is that anything close to the Word of God? It's not, is it? Be quick to hear, slow to speak. Proverbs again. 17 and verse 27. He that hath knowledge spareth his words. Oh, you mean a smart man will be slow to speak? Yeah, that's what he says here. He that hath knowledge spareth his words, and a man of understanding is of an excellent spirit. Even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted wise. And he that shutteth his lips is esteemed as a man, esteemed a man of understanding. Wow. 
You'd have to read that over to really see if that's in the Bible, wouldn't it? Look at that. He that hath knowledge spareth his words. You would think someone who's smart ought to be talking all the time. But no, a smart man knows to be slow to speak. This doesn't mean you have an impediment in your speech. It doesn't mean you, you say your words slowly. That's not what he means at all. But the idea here is that you give thought before you speak. And what you say better be wise. And you don't have to say everything. No one's interested in everything you got to say to begin with. Be slow to speak. Drink in the truths. Assimilate the truths before you go off at the mouth. Ecclesiastes, again, I didn't read all that passage about being in the in divine worship, when he told us there in verse 1, Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For it is in heaven, for God is in heaven, and thou upon earth. Therefore let thy words be few. Be slow to speak. Some other passages, these are very good. Again, 15, Proverbs 15, verse 2. The tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. 17, verse 27. I read that a moment ago. He that hath knowledge spareth his words. 18, verse 13. Uh, He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. Verse 21 of 18. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. 21, verse 23. Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. That is a hard lesson, isn't it? My tongue has got me into more trouble than I care to admit. And I'm sure yours has too. Just kind of the nature of us to be talking when we shouldn't. And we're saying things when we shouldn't even be talking. So, brethren, what's the exhortation that James wisely gives to the new, those who are born again? Be slow to speak. And then he gives us another one, the final one here in verse 19, and it goes into verse 20, and that is to be slow to wrath. One commentator says, This counsel may be intended to have some bearing on both the injunctions preceding. For anger may spring up both in hearing and speaking of religion. Wars used to be fought and still are over religion. So, wrath, brethren, can be the product of not hearing properly or speaking too soon. And how often have we had to stifle the passion of our wraths on what we, either what we've heard or what we have been speaking about. You know, there I was talking to someone yesterday that, and I know I have this habit, and I can be talking, and I get really into the subject, and it looks like I'm almost angry, and a lot of times I'm not, but it's true, there are times I do. And just me hearing myself, I can become angry and wrathful in my tone. So there's something to the fact, when you're slow to hear, I mean quick to hear and slow to speak, you do stifle Wrath. Be careful what you say and be careful how you say it. 
You know, there are some folks who just love to debate. They love to argue. And here rises then the anger and the wrath of men. And to be swift to hear and slow to speak, these are good means of mortifying sinful wrath. Now, I admit there is a holy wrath. And it ought to be exercised by God's children in a way and manner which is pleasing unto God. But flesh can soon take a holy wrath and deteriorate it into a sinful wrath. And that's what's being spoken of here. Not just good wrath, but sinful wrath. Hence, be slow to wrath, because sinful wrath can arise out of it. Be careful. How many people have been turned away from the truth by things we've become angry over, sinfully angry over? And then thirdly, James tells us why. Why should we be slow to wrath? For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. That's why. We should be slow to wrath because of what verse 20 tells us. Because it does not work the righteousness of God. Our wrath, that is that sinful wrath, does not produce or bear fruits unto righteousness. Listen to these verses that deal with this issue. In the book of Ephesians, and we've certainly quoted these a lot. Ephesians 4, verse 26. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. And then in verse 29, it gets into your speech, doesn't it? Colossians 3, verse 8. Or excuse me, I'm going to go back to again. Ephesians 4, verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Notice again how speaking and wrath go together. Same verse. Colossians now, chapter 3. Two books over. And verse 8. But now ye also put off all these. Anger, wrath. Malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Notice again how the tongue is involved in that passage, along with wrath. You see, brethren, controlling our tongue has a lot of bearing upon all of this. In fact, James is going to teach us a lot about the tongue when we get to chapter 3. How that it is the thing that controls us. And James tells us here, it does not. Wrath does not work righteousness. And he gives us a hint to that in chapter 3, <coughs> verse 17 and 18. <clears throat> but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Not them that make war. Not them who have wrath, sinful wrath and ag- uh, against folks. But peace. Remember again, that was one of the things that James mentions in regards to the testimony of uh, Rahab. Of her manifesting her faith. She received those men in peace. Did she? Well, let me close this short sermon with just three exhortations. Make it four. 
First, obey this truth. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain, Christian. Just do what it says. Look at the motivations. Look at the groundwork behind it. Look at the groundwork after it. And do what it says. Be quick to hear. Swift, or swift to hear. Slow to speak and slow to wrath. So let me encourage all of those who are newly saved this morning. Mind these three short things. Swift to hear. Slow to speak. Slow to wrath. Secondly, let us who have been saved for a time forget them not either. Just not for the young Christian. Remember, he says here, every man. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Not just the newly saved who, yes, need it because they're getting out into a new world, as it were, for themselves. But those of us who have been saved for some time, let's not forget this as it is so easily done. Let us be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. And then my last exhortation is to those who are seeking the Lord. Let me again go back to what James has told us in verse 18. You must be born again. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. If you expect to enter into the kingdom of God, then you must be born again. There must be life given or you will remain dead in sin. And if God is the author of this new life, and He is according to James, then you need to seek it from Him. Don't delay. Seek Him now. By God's grace.